0: nothing like some good perry como christmas music to start off the service can i get an amen everybody 50 years and older let's hear it yeah (laughs) that was pitiful by the way just not a good clap for perry como have you ever been um have you ever shared an experience with someone and in that shared experience you got two totally different views have you ever done that? Maybe you're watching a movie with somebody and they're like, "Man, that was like the greatest movie I ever watched." And the other person's like, "Eh." Or you're at a restaurant, you share this great food experience, and you think it was just absolutely wonderful, and the other person's like, "Eh." And 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 then you try to convince the person like to, to try to see your point of view, and it just gets worse. Like they're like, and then you get mad, and then there's this big fight that breaks out, and then you got servers that are breaking up the fight or you know, ushers that are coming out saying, hey, you guys need to be quiet. Or I'm going to throw you out of the movie theater. Okay. I, I remember a couple of experiences I had with, with our family. One, one was when we, went, we got, to, we went to the Grand Canyon, which it's just, if you've never been there, just, you got to go. I mean, how many have ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. So you all have to agree with me. It's just breath. Is it breathtaking? And don't say, eh, because I'm going to throw, I'm going to the ushers throw you out right now. <laughs> So we, we, we were we were in Phoenix visiting my nephew who lives there. And we took this five-hour drive. My parents were with us. It's five hours in anticipation. Now, the thing about going to the Grand Canyon, it's not like looking at a huge mountain. Because if you're, if you're going to climb a mountain or see a mountain, you just see it in the distance. You're like, oh, there it is. There's the mountain. We're going to climb that mountain. There it is. You can see it, right? The Grand Canyon is a big hole in the ground. You don't see it. Do you actually walk up to it? You got to, unless you're in a plane or a helicopter, you got to walk up to it. So we drive there five hours and this anticipation, I can't, I'm excited. We finally get there. You walk up this path and, and then all of a sudden you just see this, this, you, you're like, <gasps> and I was just, I, I'm serious. I got teary eyed. I did. I was just. I was awed by it, and we're there. And I just wanted to stay. I wanted to walk down it. I wanted to take the donkeys down it or the burros, whatever they have. I wanted to do everything. I just love that place. And we're there five minutes, and my kids are like, "Okay, can we go now?" I'm like, what? We've been here. We drove five hours to get here. This is this is unbelievable. And they just and I'm trying to convince them. They're like, "Yeah, it's all right, you know." And they just weren't that impressed. Now, what was interesting is. Seeing all the other people walk up this, this path, and you could tell all the people that have been there the first time because it was fun actually watching them watching this. And you'd see it and they're like, some people were just like, oh. and some people would cry, and they're like, oh my, God, this thing is the greatest thing. And it's interesting seeing something from someone else's perspective. Now, this next experience I had was um, at Disney World, um, with my family, we went there. Um, when, you know, We took the kids one time when they were really little, and they wanted to go to so the bathroom. So we went, and it was great. At, at that time, Lily was about uh, four or five years old. So Kathleen was going to take our two boys, which are a little bit older, on some different attractions. And I'm going to take um, Lily on this uh, one attraction, which probably wasn't my, um, uh, probably my first choice, uh, but it was uh, Under the Sea, the journey... Of The Little Mermaid. Okay, so not my first choice, but I said, Lily, I'll take you because the boys don't want to see this. So we went to watch this underwater thing with The Little Mermaid. And so the neat thing was Lily, um, she sat on my lap watching the little, little parts that were a little, maybe a little scary for a four or five-year-old. But the, she was sitting on my lap. And the best thing was watching her watch the whole show. And she was just like into the whole thing. So then I got, te- I got crying again. I'm like, I got teary-eyed again, watching her watch it. And it was because for me, I just, it was like, you know, I kept checking my, when is this going to be over with? You know, I want to get to the roller coasters, you know? And so I'm saying, but watching her, watching the show was amazing to me because she was into it. And here's what I want us to look at as as we've been in this series of looking uh, at Christmas, at a different perspective, and I want us to see Christmas this year. Because so many times we we look at Christmas through our own eyes and through our own experiences and through our own traditions. And and don't get me wrong, I love I love Christmas time. I mean, how many of you just you you like the traditions? It's great. For many of us, we just love this time of year. I mean, it's just the whole you know we get into the Oh, the family getting together or watching all the Christmas specials, you know, it, it, you know, making uh, cookies and all the things that we do as traditions, uh, watching Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. I grew up on all of those frosty Rudolph, you know, I grew up on all those things. Um, you know, watching the movies, It's a Wonderful Life and uh, the great Christmas songs, right? I mean, just so many Christmas songs, you know, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas, Silent Night, Joy to the World, you know, Grandma Got Ran, ran Over by a Reindeer, you know, all those great songs, right? Um, you know, and there's, but, but I, want you to, I want you to think for just a moment this, and, and I, I, I want us to maybe look at it from a, a different perspective today. Do you realize that Christmas is the best news for sinners? I think, I I want you to think about it for a moment. Christmas is the best news for sinners. It's actually the best holiday for sinners. And you may say, well, wait a minute, pastor. The best holiday for sinners, wouldn't it be like New Year's Eve where everybody just goes and parties and gets smashed, right? Would, wouldn't be the best holiday for sinners? Wouldn't it be like St. Patrick's Day, right? Wouldn't those things? No, you've got it wrong if you're thinking that way. See, for anyone who feels like they've blown it or could never find forgiveness or feel like their past uh, could, could, could never be forgiven or they couldn't maybe fit in a church, Christmas is all about God coming into our messiness and showing showing us a way out. And this is what I love about the birth of Christ. There's no palace. There's it's not there's no elaborate pomp and circumstance, no bling, no fanfare. Jesus is not born in this palace. He's actually placed in a feeding trough for animals. A place most likely where animals are kept is where he was born. There's no crib, there's no new clothes, just Strips of cloth to wrap Jesus in. Jesus is born in the most humble, most lowliest of all circumstances. And and this is a perfect picture of Christ coming into our messiness. Jesus coming into our brokenness. The savior of the world can relate to us. This God incarnate, God in flesh comes right to where we are. And then what he does is the Bible tells us that God now dwells with us. Not just in the temple, which you see in the Old Testament. We see his presence, his Shekinah glory within the temple. And when they saw this cloud of God's glory, they said, there's God's presence. It dwells within the temple. And there's all these different ways that you would have to approach him and approach his holiness that God set up. But what, what, is, what does God do for us? He says, listen, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to live right in the midst of all your stuff. And I'm going to show you the way out. I'm going to understand what your pain is. I'm going to understand what your hurts are. I'm going to understand everything that you go through. Abandonment, hurt, loneliness. Jesus understands all those things. And then what he does for us is that he goes to the cross to take on our sin, die a death that we should die, and our sins are placed upon him. And through his death and through his resurrection, we see this forgiveness that God gives to us. All by his wonderful grace. Christmas is the best holidays for sinners, which every single one of us in this room, we are sinners. Let's just say it I'm a sinner. One, two, three. I'm a sinner. That's good. That's good. That's good therapy. We all, we are all sinners. Jesus came for sinners. So here, here's what I want to look at. See, what, what this shows us about God is he just didn't come for a select few. He came for everyone. So here's the question. Why is Christmas good news for sinners? Here's the reason why. Jesus' humble birth means he's approachable, he's accessible, and anyone can come. Can I just get an amen there? That's such good news. So what God does is he uses two people who were not famous, they were not royalty, They were not wealthy. He uses two teenagers. And so here's what we've been doing in this series of messages. I want you to see Christmas through God's eyes. This will change everything about your life. Because maybe you don't have good memories about Christmas. Maybe you don't have good memories about your past. There's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of pain. I want you to realize when you can see Christmas through God's eyes, it changes everything about your life. And this is what God does specifically for Mary and Joseph and and what they would have to endure. God allows them to see what he's about to do through them, through his eyes, because unless they see it through his eyes and through the vision of God, they would easily give up. You listen, if you don't have a vision for your life, if you don't know where you're going, if you don't have purpose for your life, you will meander from this thing to that thing trying to find significance. You'll find it for a while, but then it will, it, will leave you, it will leave you empty again and you'll search for this thing and that thing and this other thing to try to complete our lives or to fulfill our lives. But Jesus has come to fulfill everything about your life. And when you go through the difficult things in your life, when things don't work out the way you want them to work out, and when health things don't work out or a job loss, whatever those things might be, what God does for us is he gives us a vision bigger than those things. Because those things don't dictate our future. Those things don't have to rob us of our joy, which Jesus wants to give us. That's exactly what God does for Mary and Joseph. He gives them a vision bigger than their circumstances. And some of you here today, you need a vision, you need a word for God, you need a word from God that's bigger than your circumstances so that you can say, God, I know that I'm going to make it. It it, it may seem unbearable right now, It 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 may be bleak, but I want you to know when you get a word from God, you will make it because God's word is bigger than your circumstances and some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to grab onto God's word and just believe that. And this is what God does for Mary and Joseph. They weren't anything special. God chose these humble servants. And what they did was they trusted God's word. They became obedient to it. And that's what changed everything for them. So on the surface, I want you to see how did Mary and Joseph make it? How did, what kept them from getting discouraged? Because it would have been easy for them to get discouraged and allow their circumstances to just overwhelm them. So what God does under these difficult cir- circumstances, he, he, he gives them understanding for what he was going to do and, and allow them to see through his eyes. Do you see what I see? And this is what gives them hope not to give up under the extreme circumstances that they we're under. And what I'm going to look at today, last week we looked at the extreme circumstances that Joseph had to overcome and how God gave Joseph a word to help him to see that he was to marry Mary Mary and take her as his wife. Now I want to look at something that you may have never realized in the background of Mary's life. I believe Mary had to overcome two extreme obstacles. That haunted her, her whole life. And how did she make it? And and this is incredible how how she made it and how she just believed, believed God. And so I want to jump into God's word here. So if you've got your Bibles, you can look at the the screen here. Um, This week, I want to look at Mary and how God encouraged her and the word that God gave Mary. So I want to look at Luke chapter one. And I want to look at specifically uh, verses 26, uh, through 38. And, and I want to look at, um, I want to specifically look at how God speaks to her and what he shares with her. And there's something incredible at the end of this passage that I want us to all just to cling to, um, this morning. So the birth of Jesus is foretold. And, um, and this is what God says to Mary. Okay, starting with verse 26 says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Very important because that's where the Messiah would have to come from, from, from King David's line. And there was a virgin named Mary and the angel went to her and said, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. He's got you. He's not going to leave you. He is with you. When we're in Christ Jesus, God is with us. That doesn't change. Woo, that's good stuff right there. Okay, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Usually angels don't show up, and when they do show up, it ain't good. But the angel said, to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him. You are to call him jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over jacob's descendants forever and ever and ever and ever and i added that in because it's forever and his kingdom will never end I, i don't know if i'm the only one getting excited here but this is good stuff we see who Jesus is and what he will do. Verse 34, Mary says, well, how would this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will, will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. There's no mistaking who Jesus is here. If anybody doubt who Jesus, he is the Son of God. He is divine. He is God. This is the one. This is who they're waiting for. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. It is Jesus. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And and she who is said to be unable to conceive is, is in her sixth month. Look at verse 37. I like this. Some translations say, for nothing is impossible with God. My translation here says, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Woo. That is good news for I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Can we have an amen to God's word? Amen. Okay. So let's, let's, let's get the big picture here. Let's get the big picture because because it 's easy to get caught up in this picture of Christmas, the nice manger scene, everything is neat and tidy. you know the cows are are lowing, and everybody 's getting along and it 's just so just wonderful right? It looks wonderful right but but here 's the reality of the situation. You have an unwed pregnant teenage teenager, a father uh, and the father uh, you got joseph who 's going to marry this woman who she 's impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I don't know how many people are going to buy that story. I mean, I want you to think for a moment, the conversation Mary and Joseph had to have with her parents. How well do you think that went over? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. But how do you think it went over in this small town of Nazareth? I, I don't know. But it, it wasn't good. Um, this, Remember, the engagements then, as we talked about last week, are much different from today. Today, you can just end it and it, it's done with. You aren't officially married yet. But back then, it was actually a legal contract and it could only be dissolved through a divorce. So, so how did Mary, how, how did she overcome? What did Mary have to do? How, how did she overcome all this? Well, this is interesting because I want you to see two things, two huge obstacles that she had to overcome. Besides traveling some 90 miles to get to Bethlehem and, and being poor and all this, uh, the, the, just the extreme physical things that they had to overcome to have the birth of Christ. But there's two emotional things that Mary had to come. And I believe, can I just say this this morning? I believe our biggest struggles are emotional ones. How many of you know when you go through a physical thing, most people, man, they're tough. We can get through some physical things. But when there are emotional scars in our lives, those are hard to overcome. And many of us walk with these deep... Now, you may have physical scars. I got a physical scar now that I have my big lustrous beard. Um I've got this scar right here on my chin. This big scar from the Maplewood YMCA that I fell on in the winter and I just sliced my chin wide open. And our we're on the swim team and the carpool driver uh was not nice that night. He was the meanest carpool driver my friend's dad that you ever met. He was a meat cutter. And he had a big cleaver in his car, and if you were late, no, I'm just teasing. People are like really, no. And so what I did was I just put a towel up to my chin went home. Never told my parents about it. Until the next day, and they're like, "Why is your towel all bloody?" Well, the meat, the meat, the meat man got after me. No, I'm just teasing. And I, and so it was too late to get um stitches. So I have this huge scar. To remind, this scar reminds me of the Maplewood YMCA when I was whatever years old and fell on the steps and was. I see and slice my chin open, chin open and many of you you have scars too that remind you of that but I tell you the worst scars are emotional scars those are those hidden things deep bruises from people our past that we have to deal with and I believe that these are the things that Mary had to overcome but God gave her a word that helped her to overcome those things so let me give you a couple of things here what did Mary have to overcome here's the first emotional thing that Mary had to overcome she had to overcome her reputation now it wasn't to Mary's fault. But but in fact, this became part of, of Mary's life, her reputation. People would not believe her story, and, and 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 this would this would go with her. I don't think we think about that. I think we look at the manger scene, oh, everything's wonderful, right? No, it's not. Now, yes, yeah, she gave birth to the savior, which is wonderful, but what she had to endure and how she had endured, she had to she had to work through the stigma of her life, and and, and and we actually see this some thirty years later when Jesus has a conversation with the Pharisees, and and they bring this up to him. Catch this. John eight. Jesus had this dialogue with the Pharisees, and these were religious sect of people who were very holier than thou, and they judged everybody by their human standards. And Jesus was telling those who believe in Him, and His words would be free. him, would be set free from their sins. And so the Pharisees during this conversation, they spouted back at Jesus and they said, well, you know what? We're offsprings of Abraham. There you go. We're special. This was, this is what makes us unique because we're the offspring of Abraham and, and we've, we're enslaved to no one because we're the offspring of Abraham. Because Father Abraham had many sons. Had met, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, some of you remember that from Sunday school class. We're this special group. This is what they're saying. And Jesus agrees. And he says, yeah, they're, they're physically descended from Abraham. He says, but this, but your behavior contradicts that claim. Ooh, ooh aha. And, if they were, and he, he says, if you're truly Abraham's descendant, then, then you would believe in me. To which, at that point, they take a shot at Jesus. John 8, 41 says this. They say this, but we are not illegitimate children, they protested. Oof. What are they saying there? They're taking a shot at Jesus, saying that you're illegitimate. We know the story of your mom and dad. You're Ill- illegitimate. They just took a shot at Jesus in his birth. See, let me give you the big picture here. See, the huge obstacle that Mary had to overcome from the physical obstacles to the personal one involved her reputation. She had to work through that reputation. How did she overcome that? Here's the second thing Mary had to overcome, not only her reputation, but also she had to overcome her heritage. This is interesting I I, I want to give you her her background and in, and in, 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 in the, in the the lineage of Jesus and what's interesting about the lineage of Jesus is Matthew gives us this lineage of Jesus to show that he is in line to the messiahship through King David through the tribe of Judah that had to come through that line the Messiah had to come through that line and and I want to give you three women that are mentioned in the old testament that are part of Jesus's lineage all three women are found in Matthew's account in Jesus's lineage to show us that Jesus was in the line of the Messiah now what's what's the big deal here well what's the big deal here is it's very interesting that women usually are normally not included in one's genealogy but these women are which is incredible because this is stuff that you would kind of want to hide in your past. These are kind of skeletons in your closet that you don't want to come out. And if you want to give a, a lineage in the line to the Messiahship, you don't want to mention these women, but Matthew does, which is incredible. And here's the reason why the reason why is God doesn't hold are passed over us. In fact, he goes a step further and actually redeems it for his good. Amen. It's the reason why. So, so keep that in the back of your mind. So let me just give you three women here that are mentioned in the book of Matthew. One is Rahab. Well, who's, who's Rahab? Well, Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho who hid the spies of Israel from being captured uh, before they would take that city and the walls of Jericho would fall down. She protected them when Israel was going to conquer Jericho. So she protected these men and then eventually they would, they, would, uh, they would conquer Jericho and God spared her life. And eventually what's interesting about Rahab is she would marry a man named Salmon who was from the tribe of Judah and they would give birth to a man to a boy and they would call him Boaz. Okay. So what's the connection there? So now you've got in the lineage of Jesus, you've got, you've got a prostitute and then she marries someone from the tribe of Judah. They give birth to uh, a baby and they call him Boaz. Okay. So let's keep going down here. Some of you are already ahead of me. Boaz marries who? Ruth. Thank you, Ruth. Ruth answered the right question. Ruth because her name is Ruth. So um, now what what, what about Ruth that's interesting? Well, Ruth was a Moabite. Now they were considered the enemy of Israel, hated enemies of Israel. And when she lost her husband, she went with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel because she had no husband. When you had no husband, you were basically destitute. And so basically Nehemiah goes, Ruth, you can go back to your people. You don't have to follow me. Go back with them. She goes, no, no, no. Your people will be my people. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And God blesses her. And she goes there. And guess who she finds? Boaz. Ding, 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 ding. Boaz ends up marrying the Moabite, Ruth. All in the line of Jesus. All on the line of is, us no, let, 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 let's, let, 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 let's keep going down here because this gets interesting because Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents to King David. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You see the line? Now, now, we're getting... now, now, here's the thing. Now, you think, oh, that's cool. Well, let me give you another name. There's another name, another woman named Bathsheba. You recall the story, King David and Bathsheba have an adulterous relationship with disastrous consequences, but eventually they would give birth to who? Solomon. And eventually we, we see the line go down. And then eventually we will come to Mary and Joseph. Now we see Mary, she's got this terrible reputation, not her fault, yet having to live with this stigma over her head. Now, I would say that their family lineage and their family history is pretty interesting. And some of you are thinking right now, my family isn't so bad. And and you're thinking, wow, that thing is littered with some crazy stuff. But what amazes me about all of these women is how God uses messy people. Each one of these stories there's a common thread between each one of these stories and it's about redemption it's about redemption god can redeem our lives the good the bad and the ugly god desires to redeem your life that's the hope you see god comes to us the incarnation of God comes to earth to redeem us back to him, us sinners to redeem us back to God right in the midst of our messiness. The Bible is full of hope for messy people, for sinners. And God doesn't shy away from the messiness of people's lives because he says, I can redeem those and then use it actually for my glory. So God rescues all these women, and not only that, he used them for his wonderful plan. God rescues us, messy people, dysfunctional people, and then what does he do? He uses us for his plan. God doesn't want you to whitewash your past. Why? So we can let people think we're better than we are? I believe people open their ears to listen to your hurts and your pains and and your mess-ups and your screw-ups and all the things you've done wrong. And you can say, I'm not a perfect person. I've made a lot of mistakes in my past. But I humbled myself before Jesus and he rescued me. That's all I can tell you. I'm not not trying to judge you and your life. I'm just telling you, this is what Jesus did for me. He rescued me. And that doesn't mean I still don't make mistakes, but I know that I'm forgiven. And I know the one who I can go to to find forgiveness for my life. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. God is not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for perfect people. What he is looking for is willing willing people. He's looking for willing people. He's looking for people. Who say I'm going to surrender to you, God? I'm going to give you my life. Those are the people He's looking for, willing to come and let God change them. So, so here's here's what I want to finish this morning. How does Mary overcome her reputation, her heritage, her meager life? How does she overcome these things? Here's how she overcomes them, and here's how we overcome them in our life, our past, our reputation. Mistakes we've made. How do we overcome those things? Here it is. What kept Mary from going was the word that she originally received from God. I believe she clung onto that word. I believe that when she was alone at night and she started feeling condemnation of her past. Or her reputation or what, what, what will people think. I'm walking down the street. And people are saying all kinds of things about me. I believe this is what she hung on to. For no word from God will ever fail. For no word for God will ever fail. See, that's what the angel Gabriel spoke to her. You see, I'm going to tell you, being a Christian is probably the hardest thing you will ever do. It will. It will be the hardest thing you ever do. And, and it, life is not always going to be perfect and work out the way you want as a Christian, right? If anybody tells you that being a Christian, everything works out wonderful, you just smack them in the face. You just say, no, that's not true. W- w- Jesus even said, in this world, you will have tribulation, trials, sorrow. You're going to go through these things. We're going to have good times, but we are going to go through difficult times in our lives. But what keeps us going? For no word from God will ever fail. That's what we have to cling on to in our lives when we're going through uncertainty in our lives. We're not always going to feel it. How many of us feel, feel just on top of the mountain every single day? We don't. It's during those valley experiences that we truly lean into God's word and say, God, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm going through this difficult time. I'm going through this trial. I feel empty right now, but I know that I know that I know that your word is true. And I'm going to cling on to that word for my life. Because I know that your word is true. It's everlasting. It doesn't wither. It doesn't fade like the flowers. It's everlasting to everlasting. And I'm going to trust that word in my life. See, I believe that it was this word from God that would keep her going through all the hardships that she and Joseph would have to endure. And I want to encourage you with those same words today. And I don't know what some of you are battling with here today. And I don't, I don't, I don't have a magic pill that I can give anybody here to make it all better. But what I can give you is God's word. And I know his word is true. And I know His word is everlasting. And he, here's here's what here's what I would here's what I would instruct you this morning. Here's how I would encourage you this morning. I would pray and ask God, say, God, I need a word from you. I just need a word from you. Maybe it's a song that we sing on Sunday morning. Maybe it's listening to Caleb when you're driving to work. Maybe it's reading the Word of God and you're saying. God, I just I just need you to instruct my heart. You know, as a parent, Kathleen and I, we would always pray, God, just give us a word for our kids. Give us a word that we can just pray over our kids. My word for my kids are Proverbs. That lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways in all your ways acknowledge me acknowledge the Lord and he will make your path straight that's my word for my kids that they would just acknowledge the Lord in all their ways that they wouldn't lean on their own understandings Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and that they would trust the Lord with all their heart that doesn't mean your kids are always going to take that right path right? can I get an amen parents? help us Jesus But that's the word we hold on to. It's the word we hold on to. No word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. So, Father God, as we bow our hearts before you today, Listen, you, God, you didn't show Mary everything. You didn't show Joseph everything. You didn't, show, you didn't tell them that they're going to have to flee to Egypt. You didn't, you didn't show them. You, each step of the way, you gave them a word. And God, I just pray that you would give enough grace for each person here for today. That, God, you would show them through your word that you're going to be faithful that you're going to walk with them, that you're not going to leave us or forsake us, that, that nothing, that nothing can separate us from your love. So I just pray that for those that are maybe struggling today or just struggling with their past to overcome their past, struggling with condemnation, that they just think about these things and it gets them down. And how can I be a Christian when, when I have this, littered with this stuff in my past and people seem to bring it up and old friends bring it up but, but I know I've changed God may we cling to your word more than we cling to someone else's words may we cling to your word more than what our circumstances dictate may we cling to your word your word is the only thing we need that's it is your word God and may we cling to that above everything else and so I pray that you would and encourage us. That you would show us. That you are with us. We thank you that you are even when we don't feel it. Thank you for never giving up on us. We love you.